So, you know, whenever you probe and hit some nerves, whiplash comes back, right? You hit some nerves and it's like, and um, I think of myself, my nerves, all my nerves that have been hit. From the moment that uh, I started to believe there was a God, pursue that God, and go through many different iterations from ultra, ultra legalism, maybe more so than most of you can imagine, to, uh, you know, theological study of the Torah, study of the minor and major prophets, and basically religion, philosophy and religion in the university. And every time a nerve got hit, as I look back on it now, my first reaction was to defend that nerve strike because it's not comfortable, right? It's like Peter getting out of the boat. Peter was fine walking to a new truth until Peter realized it wasn't natural for him and it wasn't what his perception was of reality. His perception of reality was as a fisherman and uh, as a young boy when he probably learned how to swim because he had to, that you either float on water or you sink, but you don't walk. But yet he walked. Jesus said, come out of the boat. Interesting that Peter was able to walk on the water going out to Holy Spirit filled Jesus. And we have very little we know about from the moment that Jesus was born until he was baptized and then filled with the Holy Ghost. Very little we know about. But we don't know anything about him walking on the water until he was spirit-filled. And we don't know anything about him going in the temple and taking out a whip and chasing the money changers until he was spirit-filled. We don't know anything more about him, really, than just those few little phrases that are in Scripture because that was his nurturing time in humanity. That we know about. I'd like us to start this premise by going back and seeing something and asking you how many times you've dealt with it. Go to Titus chapter 2, verse 13, please. Now, unlike last week, I intend to hopefully cover a lot of Scripture, and I'm not in a hurry. If we're not going to get to where I want us to be, it's uh, because there's just too much and because I'm continuing to load it out. After service Sunday, the first thing I did was clear my mind and fight back the on-flash of the mind-blinder trying to intimidate me. And then I realized because of my experience in that kind of stuff that I was really hitting some nerves. First of all, with the devil. And then with you. <laughs> I was hitting some nerves. But you see, if you've been around long enough and you understand where that comes from, that's when you begin to glory God. You see, when, when people begin to question and 
and think and, and when your own mind begins to wonder what in the world is happening, you can have a couple reactions and one is to crawl inside of a shell and say, that's it, I'm out, I'm done. I'm retreating. Or the other one could say, wait a minute, wait a minute, where's God in this thing? And so what happened was that as the evening came, I began to diligently seek the Lord after an afternoon of seeking Him and some prayer. And all of a sudden, it began to pour out, and I began to write and write and write and write. And then the Lord spoke to me, and He said, Son, this needs to come out at this hour and in this time. And I began to research after that to see who else had really dealt with it, and I didn't find anybody, none of the great writers that that I'm the one that, that you know, I read them and, and I want to grab their jewels because I guess it wasn't the time or people dare not. Dare not. But you see, whenever we're put into a straitjacket of what we think is our perception of what God is and wants, then there's no room for growth. You have to stay in the guardrails. And if you stay in the guardrails, you know, you won't bounce out of them. But at the same time, we're really never going to enlighten more. We're just going to push the same old buttons, right? I mean, if we've all been around long enough, I can move a crowd. <laughs> I can move a crowd spiritually. All you have to do is start to show some gifts, some healing, some words of knowledge, some prophetics, and hit the right buttons, you know, God is good. Oh, God is good all the time. I don't care what audience you're at, where you're at. I've been in Italy. I've been in Australia. I've been in Kiev. I've been in the, in the Mideast. I've been in Israel. I've been down under. I've been in Europe. I've been in Mexico. And all I have to do is say God is good in the whole place. And God is good all the time. And you say, whew, I'm good. But all you're doing is regurgitating something everybody already knows. And that's okay. That's called praise and exhortation. That's not called teaching. So preachers can be a few ways. They can be motivators. You know, we all need a motivation sometime. Get up and go thing, and you're okay, and this too shall pass. And even though that's not scriptural, but this too shall pass, and all the other things. That, you know, we can motivate, and we can push buttons. And that feels good. And yes, at times it lifts us up out of the dumps, but it doesn't really keep us there. It's just like a shot of adrenaline. We need another one. And if any of us are relating as having been addicted to something, even though you don't, you know it's the wrong thing for you and eventually it's going to get you, you don't care anymore. You just want another shot of it for the doldrum in the moment. You see, some of us have been there. So forgive me, for being who I am, but I can't do that. I can do it sometimes. I can be all things for all people in all places. For example, I was sharing with a, a producer in Nashville just a few days ago. He's seen a lot of people come and go. <laughs> he's happened to be in the place where he's in the green room, as I used to be with a lot of major ministries, and he and I were cohorting how we both had seen too much and how that stuff didn't influence too much anymore. And he's worked with a lot of major artists musically. That's how we came together. 
And we were talking about meeting people at the levels that they're at and making sure that we're whatever we have to be, wherever we're at, who we are. And since we were relating as instruments, I made this comment to him, something I'd said before and believed, but it really hit home. I said, you know, we sing, let us be instruments of praise unto the Lord. But who plays the instrument? The musician. Who's the musician? You are. I am. We play our own instrument, unless we let someone else play it. And so what are we playing to? In this instance to him, somehow we got into some of our most radical situations that we've been put into in our lives. We, we, we communicated for a couple hours in the depths of a studio. A couple hours in there. He and I and his brother and my son-in-law Joe was there witnessing it all. And some guy on a computer who'd speak out every once in a while when we couldn't remember names, and he'd speak out the name. Ooh, that's so-and-so. Who wrote God Almighty? Oh, that, that, that's that guy. What was that song by Michael Dunn? Ooh, that, that was, and he'd go quiet again. And I said to him, I think one of the most bizarre things I can think of right now After I told him, and he agreed with me, that, you know, when you're really moving in the prophetic, it's not to be a motivator, and it's not to be affirmed and get an attaboy. <laughs> Most typically, it's in a very, very rough place. The prophetic voice agitates. The prophetic voice doesn't agitate to destroy. The prophetic voice agitates to come out. The prophetic voice always should be speaking to prepare for what is going to be, not what was. I call those rearview prophets. It's so easy to prophesy what was. It's so easy to step in a church, and as I was nurturing and growing in Pentecostalism and coming out of you know, legalism and starting to understand you know, the hippie Jesus moment, and all those kind of things, because I went back and revisited it because some of my colleagues, my peers in music, they went over that way. Phil Kagey and I were colleagues. We were peers in music, and Phil went that way, and I just couldn't understand him. He was beyond my capacity, and people would say, and even he one time, Frank, come out to the barn. I'm playing at the barn. I said, what are you going to do out there? Oh, we got a bunch of people. We're going to praise God. I said, oh, no, thank you. You see our eyes open and go through different points, don't we? But in this particular instance, when he put me up on a question, and he said, listen, before you came to meet with me, I researched you. You are a peculiar dude, man. And he said, but if the way it's reported on you, the things you have said have come true. He said, to be honest with you, I was a little intimidated to meet with you. Because I thought you were going to read my mail. I said, well, you got stuff in there to hide? And we both laughed. And he said, what was your most peculiar time? And he started rattling them off. From Columbine to, to the tsunami, to Trump, to the Supreme Court justices, to you name it, a whole bunch of them. He rattled more than I could remember. 
And I said, you know what? The one that's probably very little spoken of. I said it was uh, in 2016, around June, I got a phone call from a producer for the Alan Combs show from Fox News. Remember Combs and Hannity? And uh, Combs was the one that all the people on the right wanted to stay from because he'd just tear them apart. He was so bright. And uh, very, very, very much on the left side. And so I got that call and they said, you know, Mr. Combs would like to interview on his program. And I said, and what would be the purpose of this interview? He, wanted, he wants to talk to you about your prophecies, your comments, since you represent, a, for some reason, since you represent a lot of the religious right, he'd like to have you on the program. And right away, you know, I'm, I'm not sensationalized by getting a phone call for TV, been there and done that. It was like, okay. What frying pan am I getting thrown into now, Lord, and do you want me to go to it, and why? And the Lord answered me. He said, go and watch what I will do. And he said to me, he has one purpose, but I have another. How many of you like walking into a situation like that where you don't know what you're walking into, but you already know it's going to be nothing pleasant? And you are really out on your skis waiting on God. But it's different when you're out on your skis waiting on God in front of one people or two people, but millions of people. Publics, right then and there with no delay. No chance for an edit. It's like hot spot on the Johnny right now, baby. So I went up to New York. I got in my room. Oh, Fox gave me a beautiful room. I was right there and overlooking the park and just praising God, and I had a wonderful breakfast, and I was on my way out of the hotel for this nice limousine they sent down front. They called for me, and there was a lady cleaning house, and I started, and I got right to the hotel with my whole mind. My wife will tell you, when I'm focused like that, I'm like razor sharp on that. I don't, I don't want any distractions. I don't want, I'm razor sharp. When I know I'm going into something like that, it's like no distractions. I don't want anything stuck into my spirit at the last second that's not God. It's how I train. It's who I am. And I got to the elevator, and the door was opening, and the Holy Spirit said, why did you ignore her? I said, who? The Lord said, turn. I turned, and there was a cleaning lady hunched over her cart. I said, I don't know why, Lord, it's your fault. You're sending me here into the den of, you know, what do you want me to do? Go back to her. I went back to her and I smiled at her and she looked at me a little intimidated, a little scared, wondering was I going to ask for a bar of soap, some extra lotions, steal a towel, what was I there for? And I, my broken Spanglish, you know, after all those years serving Laban in Florida, <laughs> I just asked her how she was. And she basically said, I'm okay. I'm just translating for you as we both struggled. Her and her Spanglish, me and my Spanglish, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then I said, what's wrong with you? 
And she looked at me. She goes, no, sir, Senor, I'm okay. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I'm a man of God. The Lord turned me around to come and see you. What's wrong with you? Went right to it. She began to cry. She began to tell me that her back was hurting so bad she couldn't stand up and she wasn't sure she was going to be able to work anymore. That she had muchachos, children. And I looked and I could have commiserated and wept and cried with her and got caught up in the humanity and the emotions of it all, but instead I drew upon the power of the spirit, the spirit man instead of the human man. And I looked at her and I grabbed her by the shoulders and I said, straighten now in Jesus' name. And she went like this. And there was some... (laughs) And I smiled at her. And I said, Jesus loves you. She began to look at me. Glory came upon her face. I said, you are healed. And let's believe God you're going to get a raise this week too. And don't be afraid to ask for it. As I was leaving, she asked me who I was. I turned around and I smiled at her. I said, it was just Jesus visiting you today, honey. Bye-bye. And I carried that with me down the elevator. I got in the car and I watched the big buildings come by and we pulled up in front of the studio at Fox News and There was somebody down there waiting for me and they brought me upstairs to the studio and I thought, you know, we're going to do the green room experience. We didn't, which was unusual for me. Typically, they want to make you up. And then I said, oh, he on purpose wants me to look worse. I got it. Lord, you make me look better. Never went to a, a, a television before where we didn't go to the green room for anything. So I got it. It was like a little undertow from the Lord letting me know what was coming. We went in, and there was about three minutes before we went on the air. And uh, I was sitting there waiting, and I looked over. There's an engineer over there with a ponytail. got an earring in his ear, and I sort of like the dude a little bit. And I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and he's not smiling. And he's got this big paper, this list of stuff. I guess it was notes about me that he was giving to Alan Combs. And, He's looking at him and looking at me, and I'm smiling at him. I'm looking at him, and he's probably wondering if I'm nervous, and I wasn't. I really wasn't. I had the peace of God. I was still still glorifying that, that little cleaning lady, and already was in my spirit that this is good. No matter what happens here, Lord, that was all worth it. Praise the Lord. And then Alan came in, and just like he looks on television, and he looked, he died. Had his glasses, he put his glasses down on his nose, he started reading a little about biography and this and that. He goes, well, we're just going to wing it here. And I said, "Um, Mr. Combs, he goes, yeah. I said, you know, you and I are about as opposite as we could be, couldn't we? And I said, that's probably why you have me here. And he said, well, I don't know if that's true. I said, well, it is. I said, you're Jewish, and I come from a Jewish lineage, so we meet on that one. You're agnostic. You're married to a Catholic woman. And I said, I went to a Catholic school, so we meet on that one. I said, "Uh, you are far left, and you think I'm far right, but you don't know who I am. 
And I said, and I have faith, and you typically denounce faith. I said, but one thing I can grant you, sir, you are extremely intelligent. And he looked at me like this. I said, that's a little bit intimidating. I said, so, you know, let's get it on, and you can go anywhere you want to go, and let's see what the Lord shall do. He looked at me a little quizzical. So we get on the air, and he starts off reading what I said back in June of 2015 when Trump came down the elevator and I prophesied and it was put out and I said some more things and I said some more things and he's reading all, did you say these things? It was like it was, like he was questioning somebody that was on the stand. I said, yes, yes I did. Well, I said, no, that's a little wrong. It should be this way. Yes, yes, that was true. Yes, that's true. And, and you, you believe he's going to win. I said, oh yeah, that's a given. And he said, well, and you believe that, you know, when he wins, he's going to appoint three Supreme Court justices. I said, oh, yeah, that's a given. And he said, and, and you believe all these things you said about this list that they put out. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, th- those, those are all going to happen. Yeah, it's like they're done already. And he looked at me. He said, well, this thing over here says you heal people. Do you heal people? I said, no, no, that's wrong. He goes, oh. So, so what does it mean? I said, Jesus heals people. I said, I'm just an instrument. And he looked at me, he says, well, does he heal people through you? I said, well, if you really have time and want to get into it, I said, Jesus heals people through the Holy Spirit, through the declared word of God. I'm an instrument. And he looked at me like a cocker spaniel, his head turned a little bit like this. He said, well, when's the last time that you healed someone. I said, listen to me. Jesus heals people. He goes, okay, so when's the last time, and my wife heard all this, this was on the air, when's the last time that Jesus healed someone from you? And he looks at the engineers over there, <laughs> they're like this. I said, well, sir, um, about 40 minutes ago, I think. He said, what? What happened? And I told him. And he said, that cleaning woman got healed? I said, yeah. I said, go get her. Bring her on the air. She'll tell you in Spanish, that woman got healed. I heard her bones crack. She couldn't, she couldn't bend up straight. She stood up straight. He goes, okay. He said, now he thought he had me. We didn't even get into all the other stuff yet. He goes, he thought he had me. So I, now I was telling Trey. Trey's the, 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 the music director for Huckabee, if you've ever seen him on I was telling Trey, he's a young dude, younger than me anyway. He was born in 95. So he was like gleaming stuff from me for the, all the old bands and the old days and the old studios when he realized I was an old horse and music. And, and he goes, I said, Trey said, so what happened? And his brother goes, yeah, yeah, that's Alan Combs. Combs and, and Hannity, that's Combs. I said, yeah. I said, well, here's what happened. I said, he thought he had me. He was putting me down for the count in front of everybody. And he goes, well, I'm a runner, and I tore my Achilles, and I can't run right now, and it's really painful, and they're telling me it's going to take a real long time to heal. Can you heal my Achilles? I said, sir, you're not listening to me. I, I, I don't heal anybody. Jesus heals. Okay, okay. Can Jesus through you Heal my Achilles. I said, absolutely. He said, really? Can he do it right now, right here? I said, oh, yeah, but you and I have to have one little discussion. 
What's that? I said, there's a little thing called faith. Now, I said, there's a writer that I like a lot. He's, he's long gone. His name was E.W. Kenyon. And I learned how you could hitchhike faith. And there's another one you might want to look at. His name was Smith Swigglesworth. And you could hitchhike faith. And I said, but the whole reason is to show Jesus is real. And he's, he didn't want to hear none of that. And the engineer was like, you know, flipping pages and saying, wait a minute, we're getting religious. And they're, now they're trying to figure a way out of it too. And, and I said, here, there's, this is real simple. This is real simple. Alan, you're, you're such a bright guy. I said, you know, I, I did a little homework on you. You did a little homework on me. I said, does your wife go to Mass at Christmas? Because, you know, Catholics go to Mass at Christmas. Everybody does something at Christmas, right? So I figured two things got to be happening. The wife's got to be praying for him, right? Family members got to be praying for him. And they got kids, and so chances are, just to, you know, to honeydew, I think maybe he goes, he says, yeah, yeah, I've gone with her. I said, do you feel anything when you go? He goes, yeah, you know, yeah, there's something I feel. I said, well, that's, you know, that's the Spirit of God just tickling you. And I said, so let me ask you a question, Alan. Dig deep. Do you believe it's possible there's a God? Got quiet, and then he blurted out, yeah, I think it's possible. I said, and so, if you believe it's possible there's a God, do you believe that it's possible that if there's God, that God can do anything he wants to do? He got quiet. He said, yeah, I guess that's possible. I said, that's enough. I said, now you and I can walk in faith, and you're going to be healed. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm not even going to get across the table. You stay right there. I said, it's not me. I said, real simple. Lord, heal my friend, Alan. Heal his Achilles right now. In Jesus' name, amen. It's like a lightning bolt hit him right on the air. Face got red. The engineer almost puked. And Alan head dropped down and then I could feel something under the table he was moving his foot and then he looked back up to me and the engineer took over and this is what began to happen 10, 9, 8 7, he got down to about 4 or 5 and Alan said we're going to be right back, boom, we went off the air, there was a little shuffling, Alan got up looking at me. It doesn't hurt anymore. I said, oh, it won't. That's healed. And before we went back on the air, he says, does this mean I need to become a Jesus guy? I said, Jesus didn't put any, any, any requirement on you to heal you, did he? Did I? I said, but I don't think it'll hurt you, Alan. I think Jesus came to your studio today. And we went back on the air, and it was like, he never said anything. Didn't, didn't give God any glory, which I didn't like. And he went right into the notes of the engineer to try to dissect me. And the final question when he was done trying to dissect me was, and I never thought about it before, all right, since you know all this stuff, and you've done this, and you did that, and he said, okay. He said, tell us exactly 
how Donald Trump's going to win the election. I hadn't even thought about it before. And I said, he's going to win it by a landslide of the electoral vote. I said, wow, Lord. And then I left. And he, the last thing he said to me was, on the air, if that happens, I'm going to have you back on the air. I said, well, book it in January. And uh, that was it. We're leaving. I said, how's your foot? He goes, I have to admit to you, it doesn't hurt at all. I winked over at the engineer, gave him one of these, and off I went. It's probably one of my most difficult situations because I was put to the test totally naked, totally persecuted, knife sharpened in my faith being challenged to a Jew on the air. Gets a little tough, doesn't it? You see, I want to challenge you to take your faith to another step by taking a step back. I do it to myself all the time. Oh, I'm far from flawless. So are you. But I can tell you, you know, I hit some nerves last week because some of you only heard what you heard. You didn't hear all of it. And the minute you heard something that you heard, you began to turn off the rest because, oh, I don't dare go there. That's blasphemy. That's sacrilege. Is it really? How about if I you know, went into a church and you were in there and I said, you brood of vipers. You snakes. You whitewash the outside bowl, but inside you're as dirty as scum. Your father's a devil and you're going to hell. Those are Jesus' words. Those are the words of our perfect Savior. Those are the words of the Spirit-filled Jesus. The unspirit-filled Jesus was just hanging out in the temple to learn some more. When they went back to get him, his bar mitzvah. Mama probably wanted to spank him, but what'd you do? I'm just here tending to my father's business. What was his father's business? Learning how not to sin and be a human. He had to learn it because he didn't know it before that or else why would he be human? You see, if you study enough mythology and you study enough all the way back in the days, you will find out there's been many gods God knows there's many gods. Let there be no other God before me. Protect them from eating the forbidden truth or else they'll become like gods and know evil and good. God knows evil. Beloved church don't like to hear that because the church is put in a box. You see, we think that the Lord needs Satan to do his dirty work. 
<laughs> if so, then is God sovereign? Does he need me? And if I rebel, then God is done. Does he need you? Isaiah got it. Isaiah saw things. He didn't quite understand them all, but he got it. And he wrote with the word of the Lord, I'm the God who does both good and evil. But boy, go preach that one. Go preach that one. That starts to push the buttons of all the denominations. What? God doesn't do evil? Well, I sure as heck don't want to be sovereign to the devil. Go tell that to the 70,000 that died of pestilence because Israel was disobedient. Go tell that to the Egyptians and their firstborn sons that were wiped out. Who did that? That angel that passed over, was that Satan's angel or was that God's angel? That angel that stood before me and a man who put a gun to my head in Buffalo in 1978 and pulled the trigger and it didn't go off. And I got supernatural strength and wrested it from him and threw him through a hotel window and it blew his hand off. Was that the devil or was that the Lord? I can tell you this much. I believe in sovereign God. I believe in sovereign God. I give no credence to the devil. I don't try to fight him. I don't think I'm anything that I'm not. I don't even put his name with a capital S, ever, ever. It's always small s. Because my God is sovereign. And you know what? My God is the one who said he'll send plagues, he'll send pestilence, he'll do this, he'll do that. God is God. And God isn't moved by our perceptions. We're striving always to learn him a little better and a little more. But you know what? There's a lot of rest that comes when we say he's all powerful. What is justice? if it doesn't have judgment. There is no justice without judgment. Do you think the law that was written on the mountain and given to Moses and the law of the Israelites was God just being mad and having a bad day? Or do you think he actually believes in that law that he wrote? It's a pretty strong one, it's tough. Take the witches out and stone them. We've had a few witches come here. I had witches in Mexico. Four of them came in. The place got petrified. There's a couple thousand people there, and a lady came up. Oh, Frank, there's witches in the house. I said, really? She goes, yeah. I said, no, don't point them out to me. The Holy Spirit will. And I began to preach. Didn't change. And then I began to, Holy Spirit showed me who they were, and I began to preach right to them. I began to tell them about the power of God, and that God has authority over evil and good, not the devil. I began to tell them that there was a time in the law before Jesus where witches would be taken out and stoned. 
And I began to tell them about Jesus and that he came to break those chains. And then I preached hellfire and brimstone. You see, today, people don't preach hellfire and brimstone enough anymore. They want to preach Kool-Aid redemption. Huh? Well, you know, I don't want to come off hard on you, and this may not be your day. And, uh, but you know, how about you just think about it? Just, I don't really want to call you a sinner and offend you, you know, and yeah, God loves everybody and, you know, you can't help how you were born and, and I understand that and yeah, I know you're not feeling it, you know, but hey, hey. Know the end of the story on Alan Combs? He didn't give God the glory. He mocked the man of God. He died three months later. Pancreatic cancer. God healed him. I don't know where that pancreatic cancer came from, but I know when you mock the man of God, the prophet that brings the power. Ooh. I've seen it more than once. I've seen pastors pulled out of their pulpits that called me a call. Right here in this town. I've seen their dynasties <laughs> overnight. I'm not telling you I'm untouchable. I'm telling you I know who I am and I know the power I walk in and I'm not ashamed of it. And I'm not gonna make excuses to anybody and I'm gonna keep asking the Lord to help me when I stumble. And so are you. So yeah, let's go back to Titus. This is what I started with. And I'm not gonna go much longer because it's pace amore e pizza. So that's giving you what the Lord wanted you to get. It's not even in my notes what I just gave you. It's not even in the book I'm writing. And, and, I, and you all know I've written many of them, but this one I think I'm gonna get out. You know why? Because I wanna provoke the body of Christ with a knife that turns it inside and out and break the bonds of religion and talismans. If none of you ever heard my message on talismans, go ask them for it. And by the way, Dwayne, I know you're listening. Please get the cards back out where people can request sermons and let's have them for them the next week, please. Please, I don't know how that went away, but let's do that because people ask me, can I get that? It should be coming out to everybody and being on your chairs every Sunday. Get my message on talismans. There's a lot of talismans. No, that, that's not it. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Looking for the blessed hope of glorious appearing. Next verse. Nope, I quoted the wrong one. I'm sorry. Look at 2, 3. In the meantime, find it. The scripture says... It is the very fact that Jesus was fully human and fully God that makes Jesus our Savior. He'll find it. Sometimes I'm in a hurry and I write things down wrong. That's why I usually don't go by my notes. I do better in the spirit. 
It is the very fact that Jesus was fully human. Somebody say fully human. Do you believe it? What is your perception of human? Is your perception of human like the Greek gods? They come down, but they're really supermen, and they happen to live amongst people, and they're being tried by the Father gods up in heaven, and, and uh, you know, so Jesus is sort of a form of a super god, a mythological god. He really wasn't human. I mean, after all, he knew he was the son of God, and he couldn't fail, could he? <laughs> he didn't have to overcome emotions and fears and issues and problems. He couldn't have had a bad day. After all, he was God. He couldn't have been agitated and angered. He couldn't have felt the sting of poverty of not being able to eat that day. He couldn't have felt being rejected by people in the temple. Huh? How many of you know he went back to his hometown and couldn't do miracles? The very place he was in the temple with, he had gifts and they rejected him because of his gifts. How many of you have been rejected because of your gifts? How many of you are wallowing in your pity because you've been rejected because, I've been there, get out of it. I wanna be like Jesus, well then get like Jesus. Preach fire and hell and brimstone. Pull people out of hell. Shut your ears to the gossip. Don't expect to be loved and affirmed everywhere you go. Something's wrong with you if you are. It means you're conforming. It means you're talking a different language. It means you need to mature and get strong in who you are and in the Lord. You gotta come to the point you can stand alone amongst 10,000 and still have power and confidence in God. Pastor, whoo! I mean what I say and I mean it for your good. You can get your egos massaged all over the place. You can turn on Christian television and because people want partners, they will say and play what you wanna hear and hope that you send them a little bit more money so they can spend another 15 minutes out of the 30 minutes that costs five, six, seven thousand dollars a program to ask for more money to spend 30 more minutes for five, six thousand dollars a program. That's the game, brother. That's the business of the ministry. You want that? It's free, just turn on your television. You want truth? Then accept truth. Now, the proof is in the Word of God. We build upon the firm foundation of the Word of God with fresh revelation. We build. I looked at Trey. Born 43 years after I was. Gifted, already has Grammys. Been, become my friend, young man. I said, Trey, I gave him a quick teaching. Something y'all have had and maybe you don't have, but those in our ministry, Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, you build upon Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. Isaac built upon what the father Abraham had. Jacob built upon what Isaac had. Jesus built upon the law. What? Jesus built upon the law, hey. He kept the law. He kept the law. And because he was obedient to the law, he didn't sin, but yet, 
He had a hard time following orders that he didn't feel were correct, such as not healing on the Sabbath. You see, because that's not what the law said. That's what a man said who interpreted the law. And that's the same problem with perfection in humanity. Some man said somewhere that Jesus in his humanity wasn't allowed to have some human issues and problems. He was a super God as human. Yes, he never sinned. He wasn't born in sin. Mary's cell had nothing to do with the cell of a man. It was the cell of the Father God Almighty imparted into her womb, which was an incubator for the Son of God. So yes, he was void of original sin, but he was not void of humanity or else he didn't come. And what spirit is it that denies Jesus in the flesh? Huh? Come on, speak it. It's the Antichrist. So what are people teaching us? People are trying to teach us to deny portions of him in the flesh so the Antichrist can keep a hold on us. You see, I believe when I cry, <laughs> I believe that my resurrected Jesus cries with me just like he did over his loving Lazarus. I believe when I rejoice, he rejoices because he knows what it means to rejoice as a human being. He didn't just create humanity. He lived humanity. He was both fully human and fully God. To be fully human, you see, could it just be, and this is where I'm going to leave you hanging because pizza's here. Could it just be that we have been taught wrong, that we've received things wrong, and we've never really asked God what is your spiritual definition of perfection? Hmm? Could it be? I'm going to tell you something. God called Abraham perfect. Ah. Please don't kill me. I'll give you. This is, she's my sister. She's not my wife. Perfect guy. All you women ought to just love that guy, that little weak Give my wife away. Leave me alone. Do whatever you want with her. But God got the perfect man out of it. Spoke to the evil one and said, that's his wife. And the guy got mad. Abraham, what are you doing? Gave him money. He said, get out of here. Noah, perfect. Read the scriptures. Perfect. Was he? All I know is after he got out of the boat, things didn't go so good. Started growing in the soil, grew grapes and got drunk. Got drunk and something bad happened. Perfect. Moses, perfect, killed a guy. Before God used it. Boy, if that's all it takes, Quinn, we just go out and kill somebody and God's gonna use us to change the world. Job, I've looked throughout all the earth. Job 1114, I haven't found a man that's perfect. Job, perfect. No, not until his imperfections were tested. You know what made Jesus sinless? Wasn't because he didn't have to overcome the emotions and the thoughts. Not because he didn't have to fight off what you and I have to fight off. Not because his humanity and his flesh were a real over thing to overcome. 
it's because he did overcome and was obedient to the Father to the cross. Our perfection doesn't come because we're flawless. Our perfection comes because we're obedient to God to the cross. The Lord looks upon our heart for obedience even when we fail. And that's why he could look at David and say, he's a man after my own heart. Not because he was flawless. Not because he was a better definition of perfection, but because of in his perfection, in his imperfection, he didn't lose his heart and passion for God. Hebrews, the writer, we know that we have one in the throne room who can stand for us because he had to overcome the same things we do. That's frankly speaking scripture. But it's truth. Go look at it. You see, if Jesus just came down as the perfect mythological God, it'd be a hard time for me to think he understands me. I could just get religious again when it was me and the whole universe between me and Father God Adonai. And then all I had to do was keep doing stuff. something called perfectionism I'll deal with it again because I really want to get into it with you and that's what people try to turn Christians into especially people who teach in error they want us to be perfectionists and perfectionism becomes a disease because you could never get there you walk in condemnation perfectionism has a, has a, an idea of things that you could never make it but Jesus, he automatically didn't have to obey God because he was God's son, so he was perfect in all ways from the moment that he landed on earth. He didn't have to grow as a young boy. He didn't have to be tempted. He didn't have to, to make mistakes. He didn't have to walk away from being bullied. He didn't have to, 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 to sit and hear things that were foul against his father and not fight back. How many of you could not fight back if you heard somebody speaking foul about your father or your mother or your brother or your son. Those are fighting words. Or your wife or your child. Oh, you want to see a mama get mad? You, you, <laughs> you do something on that child, those fangs are coming out. She become a lioness. Jesus had to live with that for 30 years. Listen to vipers and snakes. It built up inside of them. It built up inside of him a lot because he didn't have the authority and the power and he was just obeying the Father growing up in his humanity. But boy, when it happened, all of a sudden hypocrisy was something he couldn't stand no more. And he went after it with a passion, with a flame, with a whip, with words. But yet, he was sinless. He was sinless. I don't say my own words. I say what I've heard the Father say. Ah. I say what I heard the Father say. Father, the vipers, they're whitewashed on the inside. Those snakes, their father's the devil. Jesus, ooh, daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What's your perception of the perfect God? 
My perception of the perfect God is that He made me in His image. Not in an image that I'd be put in, in, in straps the rest of my life, in a straitjacket so that I could always fall short, fall ill to perfectionism, always wonder why I can't get there, always walking in condemnation, always worried about what somebody says, moving like the ebb and flow of the water. Someone says, good, I'm good. They say, I'm bad, I'm bad. They accept me, I'm here. They reject me, I'm gone. Hey! That's not God. That's not God. Okay, I gotta get into this some more because I didn't give you enough scriptures and you're still thinking I'm crazy. And you're right. I ain't all of this world, beloved. Either you. And you know something? The things of this world don't intrigue me as much as the things of the world that we're citizens of. Those are the ones that really get me. We're going to deal with a lot more, if you'll allow me. You can pack up and run. You can tell me, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure what's going on, but I think maybe you're out over your skis on this one. I thought the same thing. Ephesians 4.26 It's what we do with our flaws that determine if we sin or not. It's what we do with the pressures and the problems of the world and of sin, of religious people. Angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's the same. Put any word you want in there. Put any word you want in there. And then if you really want to see and take it to extremes, you can begin to look about those that get rejected at the pearly gates. And Jesus says, I don't know you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus who once and for all made his sacrifice and brought his blood to the heavenly places. Oh, brethren who are new, you're going to find another reason to say he's crazy, but please quit pleading the blood. Huh? You're doing it because someone told you to do it. It ain't in the scriptures. It ain't in there. Once and for all, do you accept it and receive it or you think you gotta add to it? If you do, then let me introduce you to a new religion where you can confess your sins to me and I'll forgive them. How's that? Declare it. Don't put steps between you and truth. Jesus was fully human. He was tempted and all wise like you are. And he overcame them unto the obedience of the cross like you shall. And in your imperfections, you are working towards perfection. And the perfection is what God is. And you're gonna be surprised when you find out what he is because it may not match some of the talismans that we've been taught. Judgment and darkness is coming upon the earth and it's not coming because the devil has free reign. It's coming because he's angry and moving about and the Lord's letting him. God's not out of control. If you want a God who's out of control, become a Buddhist or a Hindi. They'll meet all your needs. You can have three million gods, one for everything and then just need another one because none of them are working. And you'll never get right in your perfectionism. You're gonna come back and 
A lot of times you don't even come back in the same state as a human. You come as a snail, a frog, a toad, something that's equal to how many imperfections and flaws you had. I mean, if you really want to talk religion, let's go that route. Right? Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever shall call upon the name shall be saved. Ah, all that goes away. All of the hurdles go away. All of the laws go away. All of the, all of the perfectionism, the disease. It's a disease, perfectionism. Look it up. It goes away. The ADD goes away. The CHD goes away. All the things that we're impounded with in our minds, they go away. I love a young wild boy because that young wild boy is going to become a young wild preacher. Don't give me some school barn that, you know, quoting verse. That's good. It stays in him for a while, but I want a fighter. Give me a woman who's a fighter. Give me a woman who's seen good and seen evil, seen bad and seen great and stands through it. Give me that woman. I can run with her. Give me the grandma who's went to dead on her knees. I just heard about one. They found her. Somebody's aunt. They went in. They hadn't heard from her in three days. This just happened. You know how they found her? On her bed kneeled down on her knees, she died. She was on her knees, praying her way into heaven. Praise God. That's a warrior. I imagine in her prayer, she might have said, Lord, I'm a little tired. You know, I'm ready if you're ready. Lord, boop. Found her on her knees, hands folded. How did she not fall over? Oh my God, I can go to battle with that lady. Woo. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, provoke us. Agitate us. Activate us. Break us out of the things, Lord, that put chains on us that you don't want us to have. We pray, Lord, we want to be more like Jesus, but we want to be like a perfect Jesus in our mind, and we don't even know what perfect is. Whereas Jesus said, I became like you so that I could save you. Thank you, Lord, that you've made us in your image and that somehow who we are is, is our understanding and a gleam of you. Not a mythological God, but the real living God the real son of man, the real savior, not a story, not a mythology, not a myth, the real God. Thank you for it, Lord. Bless you for it, Lord. Be blessed, Father. And Lord, for those who are having a hard time with this message, Lord, just let them hang on a little bit longer and help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, Father. Help me to learn to serve it with grace and to stand on the truth. But of all things, Jesus, we just want to thank you that you were and are both man and God, none other like you. Oh, I can relate to you, my Lord, my brother, my Savior. Thank you that you relate to us, neither male nor female. In Jesus' name, amen.